Hello and welcome to Adventures in Dowsing, episode number 5 from the British Society of Dowsers. I'm your somewhat croaky host, Graham Gardner, suffering from a seasonal cold bug at the moment, but determined to get this episode out before Christmas. Not because there's any seasonal relevance to it, simply because I always intended to release at least one episode per month, and this one's a little overdue. In this episode, we continue our focus on water divining with a look at one of the BSD's main charitable activities. Village Water was set up in 2003 by BSD members David Dixon and Guy Hudson with the aim of helping remote and underdeveloped communities in Africa to locate and install water supplies by dowsing wells and boreholes for them. In addition, they supply pumps and other equipment and provide infrastructure and training to improve the overall health and hygiene of the villages. Each year, a group of dowsers from the BSD will go out to western Zambia to work in some of the most remote communities. Many of these places are several hours drive from any roads and are largely ignored by the larger charities. The dowsers pay their own airfares out to Africa, and because the village water overheads are so very low, as it's run by volunteers, there's very little administration costs, for instance. The vast majority of the money that they collect goes straight out to where it's needed. It's a real grassroots charity and very worthy of support. In just over five years of visits, Village Water has now installed a hundred working wells in over 80 villages, transforming the lives of thousands of people. The group are known as the Little Giant by the locals because of their effectiveness at getting things done compared with the larger charities. Just before their 2007 trip to Zambia, I had a chance to talk to Guy Hudson about what it's like out there. Now, my apologies for the rather noisy recording. It was rather windy on the day that we did the interview. I started by asking him how the whole thing got started. Well, David went out to Honduras in 2002 uh, to help the American Society. And as a result of that, he could see that the British Society could do something. And uh, really, through a coincidence, he met a charity called Harvest Help, who've got the headquarters near to his home, and went out with them to Africa to see the kind of things that they did. They wanted a water program, and they're very active in Western Zambia, which is quite a difficult place to get to. And uh, so in 2003, he invited me and Rowan Thompson out there. Um, and we, I, I, I went there with shorts and, you know, tools and expecting to dig wells and things but in fact what it was doing was project planning and liaising with people so that they would do that because obviously there's 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 no shortage of, of local labor there and people are very willing to help indeed it's just a question of organization so um you work in areas that the main charities don't cover uh, is it just because the, it's just not worth it for them well, normally they cover, but there just seem to be extreme sort of logistical or political difficulties for major charities, which, because we're small and flexible, we don't seem to have. We just get to go there and do it. And um, as luck would have it, we've met some extremely uh, skilled and experienced people out there. So we've got actually very, very good staff uh, in the field. Um, and now the larger charities are actually beginning to look to us where they have for the other areas in Zambia to try and copy some of our, our methods because we've managed to achieve things that the larger charities just haven't in the field. So um, how many wells have we have we dozed since it started, do you think? Um, we've doused and, 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 and dug um, uh, about 50. 
and uh, we've also rehabilitated about another 40, so we've replaced old, worn-out pumps. But uh, critically, the thing we do, we just don't do go in and put a pump in. It doesn't work. Um, we, we, on David's first visit, he saw a six-month-old pump that had just been a well that had been put in by a charity just outside a village, and the village didn't own it, and it was derelict already. Mm. And the local headman didn't have any decision, not his. So what's equally important, if not more important than providing good water, is hygiene and sanitation training. So that um, as part of the program alongside putting in a well and a, and a pump is training villagers how to uh, be clean and tidy. So rubbish pits, one latrine, dug pit latrine per family with a cast concrete base um, with then with a, a grass hut around it um, and proper hand washing facilities. Hand washing facilities um, are primitive but effective. It, it's an old gourd or a, um, a gary can um, with a, a twig stuck in the bottom corner. Um, and you pull the twig out and there's a little trickle of water. So it's good, a small trickle of clean water and some soap. We should wash hands in clean water all the time. Um, children, everybody wash hands before, before lunch. Things are, are washed up properly and put on plate racks in the sun. The food is done in the same way. And most importantly, they're food processors, which is an enormous pestle and mortar. Um, where they pummel the, um, the maize typically or saw them um, are also kept very clean and actually put up away from the dogs and the children on racks um, if you combine that with um, a sealed water source the, a, a capped well with a, with a concrete plinth and then um, an Indian manufactured uh, hand pump an old fashioned yard pump like we used to have in the 19th century that seals the well it means that pollutants can't get down there, and, um, and goodness, um, children can't fall in and drown, which is which is a problem when they go and collect from a traditional windless, old-fashioned you know, Jack and Jill type winding well. Um, and we've seen those, and most particularly, the problem with the old-fashioned type wells, the open wells, and the traditional sources, which is just a scoop hole down in the reed beds, um, is that the receptacle that you scoop the water out with is then placed on the ground. The ground is contaminated by the dogs and the children who don't have nappies, um, and it stuck, sticks on the bottom of the cup or the jerry can, and then you dip that in the water, and it only needs a tiny amount of bacteria, and, and unfortunately all the babies get diarrhoea, and it's very, very dangerous for them. So one village happened to be right next to um, a health centre, and they monitored closely. Um, before and after, we, we, we did our hygiene and sanitation training and putting a pump in. And um, instead of 80% of the uh, children having diarrhoea, only 12, then 20% of the, uh, the children had diarrhoea. So um, incredibly, in the last three years, um, we've affected populations of, as census at about 14,000 people. Now, that was the original number of people, because we assess carefully villages' eligibility for uh, a well. And what happens after the well has been put in is the villages change completely. Um, so that, um, they, for instance, they, they move the grass huts to be around, around the well, so there's not so much carrying of water. But um, the livelihoods change. And also uncles and cousins and aunts and nephews and everybody else also come to the village. Because actually there's plenty of land around, there's plenty of fertile land, but 
and having a pump changes everything. And so sometimes, you know, populations have trebled or five times as much, and the local authority are beginning to think about putting schools in and all that kind of stuff. So it's actually a social transformation that happens when, when we put away. It must be incredibly rewarding to, to see that happening as a result of something you've done. It is. It's very moving, actually. When you go back to see, to see the villages, literally, in a couple of cases, I just haven't recognised the village. Mm. It's been so changed, and the people are so changed. So instead of being scruffy and sort of in dusty clothing, and the children looking looking rather dirty, everyone's squeaky clean and happy and smiling, and no flies in the eyes of the, of the children. And um, there was one particular case. So I, I was advised to take footballs, and... Um, we were just leaving the village and I thought, oh, we'd had such a good time, all the singing and dancing and a lovely meal and speeches by the water committee and all this stuff. I thought, oh, oh, I'd better blow up one of these footballs. So I, I sat in the back of the Land Rover and started pumping it up. And there'd been all this, you know, cheering and laughing and ululating and everything else, everyone around. And there was a hush in the crowd and I thought, oh, what, what's happened? But they were all looking at me pumping up a football. <laughs> there's, you know, there's hundred people there watching me. So what's, yeah, what's this? And so um, I finished pumping up the football and um, I, I gave it to the son of the headman to look after. You can't give it to just one child because there'll be jealousy. So the son of the headman to look after it. And he lobbed it into the crowd and there was this roar and they all went off with it and started playing with it and everything. I said, well, what's that all about then? Well, after last year when he left our football, um, we set up, we, we cleared and we made a football pitch and also all of the valley, all of the uh, villages in the valley did the same thing. We had a big tournament and we won. But the trouble was, this is a proper leather football. They said we played with it so much that it wore out and burst. Wow. So to have another football, it meant another football tournament for the whole valley. <laughs> Eight pounds from the local sports shop. And it, you know, you, you can't, you know, it's, it's difficult to appreciate yeah, what, yeah. You have, what little, yeah. how much a, a small amount of the investment goes. It, it's amazing, yeah. Um, well, I know you're off to Zambia tomorrow for, uh, this is what, your fourth outing, is it? Yes, fourth outing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope you have a, a good time and do more good work out there. Thank and you very much. Thanks very much for talking to us, Guy. And you can find out more about the uh, work of Village Water on their website, which is villagewater.org. That's right, yes. Okay, thanks, Guy. Now, in our last dowsing lesson, which was back in episode 3, we showed you how to douse for underground water and some other techniques like finding the direction of flow. But I would like to continue that lesson now, because when it comes to sinking a well or borehole, you really need to know how to find the depth of the water under the surface. Obviously, this is very important when you're out dowsing wells in Zambia. So, in this next section, which is quite short, uh, I'll explain the two main methods of finding the depth of water to my students uh, from last time, Elaine. If you want to practice along with this section, make sure you have your L-Rods ready and also that you've located a water line to work with. We'll start right after this. What else can we do with the rods? Well, you could also ask um, about the water, how deep it is. This is where your pendulum is handy. You can use the pendulum to count how deep the water is. 
um, but there's other ways you can do that as well with the rods. Let's see, let's see if we can try one of them. Uh, so we want to find the centre of the stream first, which is there. Now one of the oldest techniques for doing this is called the Bishop's Rule and it was a French dowser who um, was discovered using this by the Bishop of Grenoble so who took the credit for the discovery and it's henceforth it's been called the Bishop's Rule even though it wasn't him that uh, used it. But basically this is a, it's another mental construct if you like for you know, tuning your brain into how deep the water is and basically what it says is if you start on the centre of the water vein and walk outwards thinking I want to find the depth of this according to Bishop's rule when you get to uh, another reaction out past that it's called a, a sideband then the distance you've walked sideways is equal to the distance of the water underground so it's equidistant to the yeah. next uh, reaction yeah does that make sense yes okay so we're standing in the center here I'm going to walk out saying I want to find the depth of this water line according to the Bishop's rule so off we go I'm getting there. That's about. Ooh, I'm getting 15, there. Yeah, 15 feet. Right. See, it's possible that I'm picking up the top of it and you're picking up the bottom of it, you know, because it could be quite a thick layer of water. Right. Yeah. Because I'm always a wee bit. Always a wee bit behind. A wee bit slower. <laughs> but then I am on the inside of the path. Um, it's just because you're new at this, I think you're just you know, being a little sluggish. The reactions will get more precise the more you do it. Right. Uh, another method you can use is called the uh, Craig's method, which is sort of the same. It basically says you find the centre of the line and you drive a metal stake into it. And that changes the, the line from a line into a circle. Right. So you walk outwards from that point in any direction and where you get the reaction is right. equal to the depth. Okay. So it's basically the same, but instead of just walking uh, at right angles to the line, you can walk in any direction. Okay. <clears throat> but you don't even need to do that. You can just stand with your pendulum in the search position and say, uh, I want to know how deep this water line is. So I can say, is it more than 20 feet? Getting a yes. Is it more than 30 feet? No. Then I can just count uh, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27. So I'm getting a yes at 27 feet. That's very precise. Yeah, you can be very precise like that. And you, you need to do this if you're, if you're actually you know, dowsing for water, because you know, if somebody's paying you to douse to sink mm -hmm. a well, yes. you, know, you need to be able to tell the guy that's drilling it how deep it is. Um, a lot of professional water dowsers will also tell them what the geology is like. You can imagine imaginary count down from the surface mm. and saying uh, to your pendulum, give me a reaction every time there's a change in the geology. So you might get a reaction at 10 feet, you know, 15 feet, 25 feet, say. So do geologists use dowsing? Uh, a lot of them do, but they won't admit to it. Ah. <laughs> you know, a lot of people do use dowsing, like uh, utility companies will use it for finding leaks in pipes. Mm. You know, Thames Water have been known to have said they use dowsers. Um, you know, gas companies use it. It's a lot quicker than many of these high-tech methods. Yeah. And we're also finding uh, a lot of archaeologists are starting to use it now. It used to be very popular in archaeology, uh, then it was sort of discredited and fell out of favour, but uh, we're starting to get back in there. Because yes. it makes sense to do a quick dowsing survey of a field. Mm. You know, it's much faster than doing a geophys survey. And you can then quickly identify areas that might be of interest. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you should rely on the dowsing, but you know, it's, it's a good um, early warning that yes. something is there that you can go and check out with um, the more high-tech equipment. 
time now for our second interview featuring Village Water, and this one was recorded shortly after they returned from their 2007 field trip. Okay, well, in our last interview we spoke to uh, Guy Hudson, uh, who's one of the founders of Village Water, and that was just before they went off to do their Zambia trip of 2007. And I'm now joined by uh, David Dixon, who's uh, the main man behind the setting up of the charity. And, um, David, I just wanted to ask uh, about um, how you got on this year in, in Zambia. I know a lot of people, uh, when they think about dowsers going out to Africa, will be imagining that you were out there dowsing and digging wells, but uh, I know that's become a small part of the operation these days. So, um, so how did you get on this year? It's still a very important part, Graham, I have to say, and, and, it, and it's well beside any dowser who forgets that that's what we're there for. Uh, this year was uh, was different. It was the largest party we've ever taken. There were ten of us. There were three, uh, four dowsers and uh, four dowsers and, um, and 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 six um, donors. These donors were from different Rotary clubs in East Anglia, so varying from Norwich through to Cambridge and Felixstowe. So I've got a widespread of um, oh, and Dis. I mustn't forget Dis in Norfolk, which is where it all started. Um, so this has been a major uh, impetus to the project because this year the Rotary people from East Anglia through their Rotary International Network are bringing in £22,000 for the sinking of wells, uh, individual wells being, being dedicated to individual Rotary clubs in East Anglia which is very interesting development and next year they're uh, they're likely to bring in um, probably double that so it's um, it's a huge um, chunk of money that we have to handle very uh, responsibly and which they want to see spent well and we we were glad to have them with us uh, because this year was the first year that they've actually funded part of the program they funded um, a total of, of um, 12 wells this year of the 34 wells in the program, so this this has been quite a quite a, is a this year 2007 has been our biggest program to date, and it grows each year from five years ago when I first went out on a, on a reconnaissance mission to look at Central Africa, see what a dowser could do there, just see the need that, that might exist there, and um, it's grown and grown until this year we're doing 34 brand new wells. Um, which are being hand dug by four teams of people in different parts in this very remote area of Africa that we've been uh, asked to work in which is the western province of Zambia. We have two operating bases and this year uh, we were fortunate that a, a single individual supporter of ours donated £20,000 to enable us to buy two, two four-by-four vehicles <coughs> uh, duty-free because we are a registered charity uh, so we took them into the country and they're, they're performing uh, great guns added to the, the Land Rover that we've, we've had for a couple of years now so we've, we've got decent transport in very difficult areas um, as we go west in, our, in, uh, in, in Zambia the, the sand gets deeper and deeper and the dowsing gets easier and easier because it is a large sand aquifer that we're dowsing and uh, driving these hand dug wells to around uh, 12 to 14 meters 
That's still quite a way to dig down. It is a long way, and uh, and if you can imagine standing at the bottom of a of a concrete lined well, then and looking up, the sky is like a little penny. Um, it's very deep, but it's totally safe because we have them uh, cast concrete rings um, before they start, go away for seven days, come back when the concrete is cured and hardened and then they start digging and as, as they dig the concrete rings go down with them and the, the skill that these fellows have is, is remarkable uh, it's men and women in get engaged in this, in this work uh, these are local Africans who developed a skill for hand digging wells and we support them um, to the hilt because they're, they're the people we depend upon to get these wells dug it's great that you can uh, produce the rings and everything on site because uh, I imagine it must be considerably more expensive if you're having to go down the route of a, a borehole. Working as we do in Africa, in a very remote place, you have to be very resourceful. And the people themselves are resourceful. It's not us asking them to be resourceful. They're naturally gifted in so many ways because they, they've not enjoyed so many modern conveniences. So they're used to uh, hand labour and they're used to working hard and uh, and so and they're very glad to have the work so yes it, it's a it's a happy marriage in many respects with with British money being used to fund African workers uh, installing uh, Indian made pumps galvanized steel pumps hand pumps of course we install we've got a policy of installing uh, of building a closed well, sealed wells, so that there's no chance of, of contamination from above. Uh, we often come across derelict or semi-derelict windless wells that we don't, we don't agree with. We, we, uh, if we're asked to, to refurbish these, to rehabilitate them, we always seal them off, put a concrete cap and install um, a steel hand pump. So that's the way that we standardise, and I say 30, this, this year 34 wells are being done that, that way, and they've completed so far about uh, 15 of them, and the others will be finished in the next few months. Mm. I think Guy spoke a bit about that, and I think it is uh, vital, you know, you do have that sanitation aspect uh, going alongside this, so it's not just about digging a well and putting a pump in and walking away, there is all the, uh, the education and all the other facilities that you, you take care of. It's what we've found is that we're really quite unique, it's nice to be able to say this, that we're unique as a Western charitable agency because we do a complete package. Um, it's not just water, we talk about water a lot and the dowsing for it, but the truth is that we expend probably 25% of our budget on sanitation and and it's um, it's a, it, another neat fit with the with the local African people because we have them uh, for example dig the pit latrines these are these are toilets one toilet per family uh, we ask them to do and so a typical village of, of 200 people would have uh, 20 or so uh, we call them sand plat sanitary platforms these are the the concrete slabs that they cast on site with a, a keyhole in the middle of course and, and then they build a, a grass hut around it. The grass is the one uh, uh, thing you see plenty of in Africa and, um, and so they build the grass huts around, uh, around this newly uh, sunk uh, latrine. Um, so that's, that's a key. 
that's the, that's key to what we're doing in the village because we see water as one element in a package to raise the quality of life for the for um, African villagers. Another aspect which is having a tremendous impact is the our insistence upon hand washing at the exit of each toilet and hand washing if they have a communal area dining area hand washing at the entrance to the communal dining area mm -hmm. and um, we've got reason to believe that this is having a dramatic effect we heard from one rural health center that in in one place that they've been an 80 percent reduction in childhood diarrhea mm -hmm. through uh, and, and the the health um, professional there believed that it was because of the the introduction of hand washing particularly for children this is a dramatic effect upon their health because it reduces the incidence of diarrhea when children suffer from diarrhea the knock-on effect is that their immune systems become debilitated and so they're prone to catching all sorts of diseases that they'd normally shrug off if they were if they were healthy and this is why they have a, a, a childhood mortality rate as high as 35%, which I think you'd agree is pretty horrendous, yeah. and that's what we're trying to tackle. And it's amazing the transformation of something as, as simple as those hygiene facilities Correct. can have such a transformation on the place. Yeah. And, and I don't know whether the guy mentioned to you, but we do. We also have a program which involves their building plate racks to keep the to, to keep the kitchen utensils mm. and plates away from dogs, because again we know that dogs uh, are vectors of disease in mm. Africa. Uh, they're, they're, the dogs are everywhere. Well, not everywhere. I don't want to give the impression that there's packs of, of wild dogs. They're not. But the, each village has got pet dogs, and, and um, we, we, we know that these dogs do cause the transmission of disease. So if we can, uh, if we can prevent dogs licking the utensils being used by human beings, then um, it obviously impacts upon health. So that's another aspect to the, the sanitation program. The acronym in Africa is WASHI, which stands for Water and Sanitation Hygiene Education. So this WASHI concept is, uh, is a strong one. Each district normally has a WASHI committee as a subcommittee of the, the council. Mm. And we work with that WASHI committee. And at village level, we promote the formation of village washi committees uh, with a chair, a deputy chair, a secretary takes minutes, uh, deputy secretary, treasurer collects subscriptions. I don't know whether the guy mentioned to you but we, we, we're, we're having a, a deal of success in, in asking commitment fees from the villagers. So we ask for a, a commitment fee which is about £20 per well. It's going to cost the, the charity um, as about £2,000 for that well and that well the whole sanitation the whole business with that village is about £2,000 but we asked for a commitment fee of £20 which is quite a lot for poverty stricken African farmers um, but they're willing to pay we asked them to contribute around about 10 pence per working adult per month into a central pot and it provides them with the, um, the, the, the means by which they either can afford the commitment fee and that means that they're buying the well, it's their well. That's how we, we, we put it across to them. They've got that ownership and it's absolutely vital that this ownership is is given to the Africans because we go away yeah. and, and for the 11 months of the year that we're not there, it's theirs to look after. We also train uh, two pump menders from each village. So we we're, we're trying to build an infrastructure.
and we're the only charity involved in, in the water that does build in this way that we see ourselves as the charity that promotes sustainable water development that's water and sanitation and in fact that's becoming our catch line now sustainable water and sanitation mm. um, is the is the, is the, uh, the strap line beneath village water mm. for me it's a way of looking at the world that I'd never I never yeah. realized yeah. and I urge anybody uh, particularly dowsers if they can get the if they have the opportunity to take it because it's it's astounding. It's astounding from the point of view of the dowsing. It's relatively straightforward dowsing, which is a joy. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, we're working in an area which is largely free, for example, of layers of clay, which can have a major effect upon the dowsing results, mm -hmm. as you probably know. So we're, we're, um, we're, we're blessed with working in an area where the dowsing is straightforward. Um, and, um, and and the people are very happy to work with us. There's a very strong um, moral ethic to everything that they do. You mm. know, meetings often start with prayer. They're Christian in this part of Africa. Uh, meetings close with a prayer. So there is a very strong ethic to what's, what what we're doing, what they're what they're receiving from us. And I, it gives me a great uh, great hope, and that's why I keep on going. Yeah. Interestingly, too, Graham, we've been asked to move to a, another part, another another district, and it's one that we've not worked in before, and it's even deeper sand and softer sand. So the dowsing there is 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 okay. The the, the problem is going to be access. Yeah, actually getting the wells. In. Actually getting vehicles to pass over this deep sand. Yeah. So we're um, it's confirmed in us what we had a hunch, which is that. The Land Rover is the best vehicle to do this work. So we're we're at the moment, as I speak, we're rehabilitating um, our our old Land Rover, which is now about uh, six years old. We're spending about two thousand pounds on on the engine and other parts to get it up to scratch because we know that that is the only vehicle that we can use for working in this very soft sand. Yeah, sure. Um, finally, uh, Guy told us of um, uh, one of his most rewarding moments was when he produced a, a football and blew it up and threw it into the crowd and it was like, you know, massive um, um, huzzas about this because they'd had this whole inter-village tournament going on uh, and had worn out the old one so much that it burst. So. Yes. Um, what was your, your most rewarding moment like that? Yes, I, 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 I agree with, with Guy. This football idea is, is a terrific one. And it's um, it, it. What shocked me was last year, when one of the Rotary clubs wanted to buy a football for one of the villages, and I went mm. into a local shop in a local town and found that plastic footballs in the shop cost fifty pounds. Wow! Yeah. So. It, 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 I realised then why I, I would see boys in the village and girls, because they have girls teams, kicking a a string sack because plastic footballs are just too expensive. Mm. But of course, if we buy them in this country and take them with us, they're two or three pounds each, so yeah. it's not a lot. But yes, the, it's that kind of... I suppose what I, the pleasure I get is is seeing people uh, uh, becoming empowered by, by what, what we're offering to them. The, the, the opportunity to form this Village Water Committee, um, and they're often chaired by women, and these women see the opportunity to they feel empowered for the first time to take uh, to play a major part in the in the village life. So 
Um, lots of interesting things are coming about. For example, one of our well builders is now installing at his own cost, his own volition, uh, concrete washstands so the women have got somewhere to congregate around the new well and do their washing together. Mm. And it's things like that which uh, create the fabric of, 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 of the village, you know, the, the social aspect to it, which is really very important. Uh, increasingly we're finding that in fact we, 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 we offer the village a choice of, of doused uh, well points and we, 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 we of course record the locations with GPS instruments now so that the well d digger goes back to exactly the same spot that mm. we uh, We've given up measuring 100 metres from that tree and 25 metres from that hut. We've now got GPS coordinates for each of the wells, but we offer them. Um, we, we, we sometimes find ourselves offering these wells in, this, in, in these locations um, and, and say that the final decision is really down to them because often the location of well is a social issue as much as a dowsing one. Mm -hmm. So we go away and we say, um, I tell you, another interesting development that, that we've noticed in the last couple of years is where we were being asked to do wells for big villages, 500 people, uh, 25, um, 40, 50 households, um, increasingly now we're, we're finding ourselves going into small and smaller units of population because the Africans themselves are getting more adventurous. They've they, they, they're going further out to do their farming. They're being more adventurous with the sort of land that they, they can farm. There's lots and lots of land in Africa, Graham. I don't know whether you, you realize that um, it's a very under, under, underdeveloped part of the world in many respects. And so the, uh, in the countryside I'm talking, of course, not cities, in the countryside it's relatively straightforward for a, uh, an African farmer to to have land assigned to him, so it works quite well, and and uh, and, and it means that we are now having to look at smaller and smaller units of population. Uh, we've had to draw the line at one well per homestead, if yeah. you like. I don't think we'll ever village water will ever get to that that very small unit. We're still looking at um, on average 200 people per per unit. But there are plenty of places now that are coming to us and saying, well, actually, our population is only 100. The, the consolation to us is that usually these wells we find act as honeypots. So it may start off at 100 people, but within two or three years, in fact, sometimes within a year, like we've known, for example, a village population go from 200 to 1,000 in a year. Just because of the well. Just because of the well. Yeah. And because people uh, know that it with 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 water, and because the that that, that uh, soil in that area is is uh, is more fertile, they know they'll get some good results from gardening. Mm. Gardening is, is 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 a very good income generator for poor people. Yeah, they can grow uh, vegetables which are, have always got a good market price in the local market. So um, the. And, and, and African, young African people are just as ambitious as young uh, British people. They, they, they can see an opportunity in the welcoming to develop their, um, their income uh, through growing vegetables particularly. And we support this. I love doing wells when I know they're going to be used for growing vegetables. You know, for me this is a joy. Yeah. When I go back and see, literally, I can, sometimes I've, I've, gone, I've gone back after a year and there is a field of cabbages, for example, mm -hmm. and, other, and other, um, other vegetables. 
um, and the, the families um, growing those, those cabbages um, have a very good income and they can afford to send their children to secondary school. Mm. One woman told me that she had a very clever daughter and, um, and her daughter's ambition was to become a school teacher and the only way she could possibly um, stay at school and college until the age of 22 was by this woman having a very high value crop mm. and being able to generate the fees. So this is, um, this is where what we're doing is a very basic simple thing in providing water but the knock-on effects are, are phenomenal mm. and, and it's quite humbling when you realise it is, but I mean, such a, a simple thing as, as a whale can you know, completely transform uh, an entire village and an entire region like that. Yeah, it's remarkable. Right. Yeah. Well, David, uh, that's been a, a great talk. Thanks very much for spending time with us. You're most welcome. Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers in Malvern, England. For more details about dowsing and the Society's activities, please see our website at www.britishdowsers.org. You can also register and leave messages on our forum at britishdowsers.org forum. There is a special podcast section in there for all your questions relating to the show. Or you can email us directly on podcast at britishdowsers.org. Although I have to say, we've been having some trouble with this email account, and you may not manage to get through on it. In fact, if you've already tried sending us an email, we probably haven't got it. Uh, so I'm hoping we can get this sorted out as soon as possible. But in the meantime, you can also send emails to info at britishdowsers.org. That's I-N-F-O at britishdowsers.org. Mentioning podcast in the subject line, and they will be sent on to me. So that's it for this podcast. I hope you have a good Christmas and New Year, and be sure to join us next time for more Adventures in Dowsing.